Well, good morning again. My name is Derek. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you today. And if you are just joining us today, you're joining us um, kind of on the tail end of a series in the book of Daniel. We have been going through Daniel, which really has some of the um, some of the most famous, some of the craziest, some of the coolest stories in all of the Bible. We've got the lion's den and the fiery furnace and the handwriting on the wall. But last week and today, we focused our attention on Daniel 9, where Daniel prays. And we've actually seen how this is a model for us for how to pray. Last week, we focused on confession, and we saw actually how so much of Daniel's prayer was actually a prayer of confessing not only his sins, but the sins of his people. And we're going to turn our attention today to kingdom prayer, kingdom-centered prayer. I'll tell you a story first before we jump in. It's uh, this story that I heard of a, a golfer who played in a tournament in Saudi Arabia. I think it's a made-up story, so don't go looking for this in the news. Uh, he played in his tournament in Saudi Arabia. He won the tournament, and the king of Saudi Arabia came to him and said, uh, listen, you've won this tournament. I'd love to give you a gift. What kind of gift can I give for you? And, of course, the golfer, uh, being humble, kind of demurred, says, oh, you know, king, you don't need to get me anything. It's fine. Everything's fine. And the king pressed, no, 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 really, I want to get you something. Tell me what I can get you. And so in his humility, the golfer said, you know what, why don't you get me uh, a, a golf club? That would, be, that would be a nice, appropriate, you know, gift. So the king said, great, done. The next morning, the golfer woke up in his hotel, and there was a knock on the door, and it was one of the servants of the king, and he came and he handed the golfer uh, an envelope. And uh, the golfer said, what's this? He said, well, this is your, it's your gift that, that the king had promised. And he opened the envelope, and there was the deed to the best country club in all of the country. He said, here it is, what you asked for, a new golf club. I tell you that to illustrate the fact that sometimes I think in our prayers, we ask for a lot less than God wants to give. We pray too small, I think, sometimes. I want you to listen as I read from Daniel 9, the way that Daniel prays and the content of his prayer. Listen as I read Daniel chapter 9. We're going to start in verse Uh, 16, and I'll read through verse 24 if you're following along in your Bible. It also, uh, you can follow along on the screen up above. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the inequities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, 
came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He'd made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out so to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word. We ask now that as we unpack it together, that you would speak to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts that we would hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, change the way that we pray, change the way that we act, change the way that we hope and expect, or change our hearts through the activity of your word today. We pray this all in the name of Christ, amen. So what does it mean then for us to pray bigger? Let me explain that a little bit. Usually, my prayers end up sounding something like this. Lord, please, dot, 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 right? Please, you know, give me this job. Please heal my friend's mother. Please make this relationship better. Please change the way that this dynamic is going. Lord, please do these things for me. Now, those are great prayers to pray. We should pray, Lord, please. But I'm going to tell you what usually isn't in my prayers. Lord Jesus, renew the world. Lord Jesus, expand your kingdom. Lord Jesus, come quickly and make all things new. While I'm praying, please, Lord, heal my friend's mother, How oftentimes am I forgetting to pray, Lord, please bring an end to crying. Please bring an end to sickness. Please bring an end to suffering. Lord, come quickly and make it such that we don't have to deal with these things ever again. What does it mean for us to pray kingdom-centered prayer? That's really what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to break it into three categories. We'll talk about kingdom praying the activity of praying, and then kind of as it goes along with that, kingdom living in the midst of that, and then our kingdom motivation. So kingdom praying, kingdom living, kingdom motivation. That's what we'll talk about today. The first, kingdom praying. We'll look at verse 20 again with me if you've got a Bible in front of you. Daniel says this, uh, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, he's giving us a little bit of a summary of the content of his prayer. And the first bit is that he's confessing his sin and the sin of his people Israel. We looked at that last week. We looked at that prayer of confession. The second thing that he's talking about is presenting his plea before the Lord for the holy hill of my God. What in the world is that all about? What's Daniel talking about praying for the holy hill of his God? Well, actually, in that section right before that, 16 through 19, he says it a lot. In fact, at least six times he mentions something about Jerusalem 
or about the temple or about the sanctuary or about the holy hill of the Lord, those all are actually referring to the same place. Daniel, who, remember, is in exile in Babylon, he's away from his homeland, is praying that God would restore that place. And not just particularly that land, but he's praying about Jerusalem in particular because it is two really important things. It is the place where the king lives, so it's kind of the center of the kingdom, and it's the place where the temple resides, so it's the center of worship. So in one way, Daniel is praying, Lord, please restore your kingdom. Remember, God's people were called and are still called, by the way, to show his glory to the world. And so Daniel is praying, Lord, please restore and expand your kingdom, that kingdom that seems to have been totally wiped away. Lord, please restore that according to your promises. Now, this actually sounds a lot like something Jesus said when he was teaching us how to pray. He told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Similarly, Daniel, though he says six times he's talking about uh, Jerusalem or about the temple or something regarding that, over and over in that discussion, he's also saying, it's your city, it's your temple, it's your people. And so the emphasis that we have when we read that over and over is Daniel saying, Lord, we want this all to be done, not for our sake, but for your sake. This is for your glory. So the content really of Daniel's prayer is, Lord, restore and expand your kingdom for your own glory. Also sounds like something else Jesus said when he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, may your name be made holy on our lips, in our hearts, in our speech, in all that we do so that your glory might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. You know, the the Lord's Prayer is something that, you know, most Christians are at least somewhat familiar with. Maybe even we pray it. Maybe you even use that to kind of structure some of your own private devotional time. If you do, my guess is that you're probably kind of like me in that you like to kind of just skip over the first half and go down into the second half of those petitions. (laughs) Forgive us our sins. Give us what we need, maybe even a little bit of what we want and help us to live a little more righteously. That's usually the content of my prayers. And I oftentimes forget to pray all the things that Jesus said to pray before we start those petitions about ourselves, which is, Lord, you be glorified. May your name be proclaimed as glorious and holy and majestic. May your kingdom Come and expand here in this place, in our world, and in my own heart. Will you continue to take territory away from the enemy so that your kingdom will expand everywhere? And may it be here on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever just paused to think of how crazy big that prayer is? Make it here like it is there. And amazingly, do it through the work of your people. Those are big prayers. 
Brian Chappell uh, is a pastor and author. He's written a book called Praying Backwards, where the whole book he's talking about what it means, what it would change our prayers if we started in Jesus' name rather than ended in Jesus' name. And he gives us a really great kind of diagram for what it would look like to have our prayers really uh, saturated by a prayer for God's glory in all things. Let me just read this to you. I'm gonna, we're going to put it up on the screen as well. Just consider this for a second. Heavenly Father, I pray to you today in Jesus' name. Focus my heart on the priorities of my Savior, whom you have provided out of your great love. Please do in me and through me whatever will bring most glory to Jesus. As you listen to each petition I make, please help me offer it, claiming Christ's merit more than my own, seeking Christ's purpose more than my own, loving Christ's glory more than my own. And now, here are the petitions I offer. What if that was the preface to all of our prayers? maybe verbally, maybe just in our hearts, that when we came to ask God for something, what we asked him for most fully was for his kingdom to expand in our hearts, in our lives, in our place, in our world, and for his glory to be done. Lord, in all that I do, may you be glorified. That's so much of what Daniel's prayer is here. All right, let's move on to the second piece, and that's uh, kingdom living because Daniel is actually not just praying, actually, here. He is living out much of this together. There's something really strange, maybe, that you noticed in verse 21. Let me, let me read it again and see if you pick up on it. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight. Okay, that is strange, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel says that, that Gabriel visit him, visited him at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Well, actually, the time of the evening sacrifice was something that God had instituted for his people actually way back in Exodus. There was supposed to be a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. In fact, I want to read this to you. We'll put it up on the screen as well. This is Exodus 29. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old and uh, by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests, and I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God." And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The sacrifices that God instituted for his people were given to them for a particular purpose. And this would have been a sacrifice as a sin offering. So a good portion of it is actually what we've already been talking about and what we talked about last week, this idea of confessing our sins. 
They would be coming to God every day, twice a day, and reminding themselves, we need atoning for. But did you hear the second part of what God said also? It's a reminder that he is with them. It's a reminder that he, by the way, the God who rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, is with them and is there to forgive their sins. So God's people, every morning and every evening, would rehearse this amazing truth. They needed forgiveness, and God delighted to give it. They were rehearsing this truth of looking back to what God had done in his redemption from, from Egypt and looking, in for, looking forward in hope to a time where they wouldn't need to actually have to make sacrifice anymore, where there would actually be a once and for all sacrifice made for them. And that was God's, people, God's people's way of remembering the things that they were most prone to forget. They needed forgiveness, and God delighted in forgiving them. That's what the evening sacrifice was all about. But this is why it's weird. Daniel is living in Babylon. Daniel was taken from, ba- from Israel and taken to Babylon when he was a young teen. He's probably somewhere in his upper 70s, maybe 80s now. It is almost 70 years since the time that he was taken away from Israel. So the last evening sacrifice that he would have ever seen with his own eyes was a long, long, long time ago. What's more, that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. It was burned. The last evening sacrifice that took place anywhere for anyone was at least 50 years ago for Daniel. But here we have Daniel still talking in liturgical time, as one commentator says it. He's still telling time by Jerusalem standards. When he tells you what time of day it is, he tells you that it's the time of day by the sacrifice that is offered. Isn't that amazing? Daniel is still actually living his life according to the rhythm of a different place. He is living the rhythm of his life as a citizen of a different country. I think that's so instructive for us because that is exactly what God's people are called to do. Remember, we've said throughout the book of Daniel, we still live in exile. We don't live in the promised land right now. We are citizens primarily as Christians of a different country. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so what does it mean for us to live according to the rhythms of that kingdom? What does it mean to keep liturgical time in our own lives and our own hearts? Well, some of that is probably kind of the normal stuff that you might think of. Keeping liturgical time actually has some, you know, liturgical activity to it, meaning you come to church, we worship, we do things every week like celebrate the Lord's Supper that is, by the way, a remembrance of what Jesus has done and a hope in what Jesus is going to do. But, you know, there's actually a way that Christians are called to live kind of liturgically uh, that doesn't have this, this feeling of, you know, holiness maybe that we might expect. And it's just kind of doing the normal, regular stuff. Living according to liturgical time actually can look like just waking up in the morning and going and doing your job to God's glory. It can look like changing diapers when they need to be changed. 
It can look like having the conversation with your child that engages his or her emotions, that engages him or her spiritually. It can look like the really hard work of relationships that feels really like a grind sometimes. It can look like very normal, very regular stuff. Hospitality to a neighbor, kindness to a friend, the proclamation of hope in a world that feels like maybe there's not much of it. And it's in doing that, in living the rhythms of our life according to the rhythms of a different country, a different kingdom, that we actually live that out in the world around us in a very countercultural way, such that others might look on and say, something is going on with this guy because he's keeping time in a totally different way. He understands the world in a totally different way. She wears a different set of glasses to look at the world, and I don't understand what it is, but I sure want to know. That's what it means to live in a kingdom way, not simply to pray it, but to actually live the activity of it while we are praying it. Lord, your kingdom come, and now show me how to live as a member of that kingdom, a citizen of that kingdom, even now. All right, let's move on to the third piece. Uh, It's kingdom motivation. Uh, Maybe we can think sometimes, okay, we've talked about praying, we've talked about living. Maybe the point is if I just pray right and I just live right, then God will kind of do all the right things. That would be actually the exact opposite of what Daniel is saying here. This is really wonderful, is that uh, the motivation actually for what it means to pray for and to live out God's kingdom is found in the character of the king. And that king's character is on full display in this passage. Take a look again at verse 21. I just read it, but it's so cool. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. Swift flight. He comes fast as he can. And then after that, of course, he says, he made me understand speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. So not only does he come swiftly, but when did he start coming? Right at the beginning of Daniel's prayer. It's like he's saying, you had me at dear Lord, and he takes off immediately right? God sends out his angel, Gabriel, to go visit Daniel, not only in the swiftest possible way, but immediately when Daniel starts praying. And then get this, what does he have to say to Daniel? What's the first thing out of his mouth? I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. It's a word in scripture that actually means precious, valued, desired, the thing that you lock up and keep the most safe because it is the most precious thing that you own. That's what this is. This is the word used of the lovers talking to each other in Song of Solomon. I desire you. I love you deeply. You are precious to me. And here's the Lord talking to Daniel saying, you know what, as soon as you prayed, (laughs) I sent out my angel as fast as could possibly be to tell you one thing, and that's that you are greatly loved. Isn't that wonderful? The first words of our God given to his prophet. I love you. And I just wanted you to know that up front. And I sent this guy as fast as he could get here just so that you could know it. Before we go any further, that's what I want you to know. But he does go further. In fact, he goes amazingly further. He begins actually telling him this prophecy. 
And Daniel 9 is actually kind of bookended with prophecy. We start Daniel 9, if you remember from last week, uh, with Daniel reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah. That's what prompted him to pray. He's reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah. It's actually a prophecy that would have probably come in the form of a letter. We read in Jeremiah 29 that Jeremiah had sent a letter to the exiles in order to encourage them. And the thing that he says to these exiles is, hey, there's going to be a period of time that you're going to be in exile. And when that period of time is up, God is going to do something amazing. That time is 70 years. And Daniel has actually been keeping his calendar pretty well. And what he's realized is that 70 years is almost up. And so what Daniel starts out in his prayer is saying, okay, the 70 years in exile, that's on us. We need to own that. That's because of our sin, and we're here because of our actions, not because of the Lord. But you know what? The 70 years is almost up. And so, Lord, you said after 70 years, you were going to bring us home. Lord, you promised that when the 70 years was up, you were going to restore Jerusalem and you were going to bring us out. And so Daniel is approaching the Lord, asking him to fulfill his promises. And this is so cool, actually. Gabriel comes and he sits down with Daniel and he says, all right, I'm here to tell you the answer to that. And here's the answer, is that yes, the 70 years is up, but there's going to be another period of time, 70 weeks, which is really probably 77s. 70 weeks sounds shorter than 70 years, but it's actually probably longer, 77 period of, periods of time. And what I'm going to do there is going to be even bigger and even greater. So yes, Daniel, you will return home. But Daniel, I'm going to do something even more amazing, and it's going to blow your mind. Yeah, if you've ever been to the mountains, the Rockies are a great example of this. And you maybe be, have come in, you know, uh, flown into that Denver airport, which is somewhere in the middle of Kansas, it feels like, and then driven out of the airport toward the mountains. And you can see the Rocky Mountains, you know, in the background, and they almost look kind of two-dimensional, you know, and they look kind of flat. And you see the mountains and you see the peak and you go, man, that is a cool mountain. Look at that peak right there. Let's head for that mountain. And as you get closer to that mountain, it, it becomes a little bit clearer, but it also comes a little bit more in focus, a little more three-dimensional. In fact, if you're hiking up a mountain, what you realize is that once you get to the thing that you thought was the peak, it may not even be the peak of that mountain. And not only is it not the peak, but there's more mountain around the corner. And there's even other mountains on the other side of it that you couldn't see. As you get closer to it, what you realize is the picture is actually growing. And that's what Gabriel is telling Daniel here. Yes, you saw the 70 years in the future. And yes, it's coming. But as we're getting close, let me show you something even greater, is that that's not the peak. The peak is still to come. In fact, Daniel, there will be a time where, yes, the king will reign in Jerusalem, but guess what? That king will be the king of the world. And yes, Daniel, there will be a time when God will continue to remind his people of his presence among his people. But you know what? It's not going to happen in the temple. It's going to happen in the flesh, where God is going to be so present among his people that he's actually going to put on their skin. And even more than that, Daniel, and this is going to totally blow your mind, he's going to be so present with his people that he's going to indwell them by his own spirit. Can you imagine that? And not only that, Daniel, but this evening sacrifice that you've been so diligent to keep and remember is actually proclaiming something even greater. 
that there is going to be a sacrifice made that's going to be the end to all sacrifice. This sacrifice is going to be so great and the offering so perfect that it will cover sin, not only from time immemorial before, but also after. And if you can get your head around this, the sacrifice and the king and the priest are all going to be the same person. And that is coming. Friends, that's the great news that we get from Daniel 9, is that the king has come, and he has come to lay his life down for his people so that his kingdom might expand, so that his glory might be proclaimed in our hearts and in the world, so that we might expect and pray for a little something bigger every now and then, the renewal of all things. Let's pray for that now. Father, what, uh, what a daunting sort of prayer this is. I find even that, that when I try, sometimes I can't fully engage it because it just feels too big and too far off. Uh, it feels like I can't get my arms around it. Lord, I'm thankful, though, that you tell me that, that I don't have to because you have. So, Lord, we get to celebrate the redemption that we have seen in Jesus. And we get to celebrate the hope that we have of what he is doing in the world. And, Lord, will you, will you show us how to pray that way? Will you show us how to live that way? Will you show us how to cling more tightly to the God who makes all things new? We ask that you would do this in us even today. In Jesus' name, amen.